You are now listening to a Providence Community Church podcast. For more information, please visit ProvidenceTX.org. And uh, this morning, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn there with me. If you do not, there should be one located in the seat back in front of you. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can call your own. Consider that a gift from us to you as well. Again, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. If you can and are able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? 1 Peter 2, verse 9 through 12 says this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. may be seated. Good morning. How is everyone doing? I, yeah, I expected y'all to be more rowdy than the, uh, than the, the early service, right? Because y'all slept in. So if you don't know me, my name is Casey Cease. I have the joy of uh, bringing the word, the word of the Lord to you this morning. I'm a friend of Quartz and Ty's and Eric's and uh, everybody, Brendan and everybody else's, and it's an honor to be here with you this morning. If you have a Bible with you, uh, we're going to be in First Peter chapter 2. Uh, when I uh, planted a church uh, about 10 years ago now um, in the Woodlands Magnolia area, early on we had a core group of people. So you have a gathering of people who are super excited about starting a new church and want to be a part of the new church and be involved in the new church. And I had one of the guys who had been involved in church planting before and pulled me aside and he said, hey, uh, you know, Pastor, what... Who, who's going to set up each week, set up and tear down? He's like, because I was thinking, what if we hire people to do that at the school gym? And I said, um, I think it would cost us about three to $5,000 a month to do that. So would you like to, in addition to your tithe, that helps with operations, give a love offering and commit to do that for 12 months? He said, no. Um, and so I said, well, okay. I said, well, then what? Uh, he said, well, then who, who's going to be sending up a tearing down? Us. He wanted the benefits of being a part of a church plant. But he didn't understand or wasn't willing to take responsibility for it. And I think in our culture, we see a lot of that today where everyone wants benefits, but they don't want any responsibility to go with it. And even that's true for Christians, unfortunately, that we want all the benefits, but we don't want any responsibility. But the reality is that when we are called by God to be God's people, rescued out of darkness into light, given mercy, made into, adopted into children, sons and daughters, called these things that we're about to read that you just heard read, that there are responsibilities that go with the blessing and benefits of being children of God. But the challenge is we live in a day and age where we want all the benefits and we want none of the responsibility. And that includes me. 
Let's pray. We'll continue our time of worship in the Word. Father, thank you so much for saving us through Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your Word that is true. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us during this time of worship, that we would hear your voice, that your Spirit would illuminate your text, that you would um, invite us and challenge us and convict us. Father, I pray for anyone that is either in the room this morning or watching online that is yet to know and love and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sin and for the promise of eternal life in you, Father, that you would help them to trust in you today, that what we read in this passage may become true in their life right now. We love you and we need you. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. The main point of this passage this morning is God's grace applied through Jesus Christ determines who we are and how we are to be. I'll say that again. God's grace applied through Jesus Christ determines who we are and how we are to be. Peter begins in uh, chapter 2, verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And so we have to look at the verse prior to that to understand what is this this contrast. The word but is a contrast. And and remember in verse 8, as as executive director Ty, not yet, Right? Am I right? Right. As Director Ty preached, yeah. whatever you are now, I don't know. Yeah. Brother Ty, we'll just go to school. Um, but, but at the end in verse 8, right, it, it says, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do, but you. So he's talking to those who are not yet followers of Jesus Christ. What's, what's interesting to me is that a lot of times we see non-believers behaving like non-believers and then we're surprised that they're not acting Christian. Let me say it again. We see non-believers who are believing or behaving like non-believers and then we're surprised by it because they're not asking, like, acting like Christians. He says they are living into the destiny that we all had before God interrupts our destiny through Christ. They're going to live out sin. Now, I don't want to get in a a deep theological debate. For those of you watching on Facebook, you can leave comments or be deleted. I don't know how y'all, you know, manage it here. But um, I'm not one to advocate utter depravity. Utter depravity means that you're the absolute worst that you're going to be outside of Christ. You're going to be the worst possible thing. I, I don't believe that. I believe in total depravity, whereas sin affects us completely. It's totally affecting how and who we are, and unless God intervenes, that we're going to continue down the path of sinning, as our nature is to do so. And those of us who are followers of Jesus at times still go back to the old way of sin, and that's why we have to be reminded. And so I want to talk to you about who Christians are according to this passage. So if you're wondering who I am, I'm American, I'm Canadian, sorry, Surrey, uh, I'm a this, I'm a that, I'm a Republican, I'm a Democrat. People will say, Casey, what are you politically? I say, depressed. <laughs> What's your political affiliation? Depression. But I'm still hopeful. Theologically, on my Acts 29 application, one of the things, it was years ago, they said, what is your eschatology? That's the doctrine of in things, last things, ongoing things. Um, and asked, what is your theological view of eschatology? And I put hopeful. One word. The irony is, if you understand anything about Dallas Theological Seminary, DTS, I had two guys from DTS. They really like to fight about eschatology usually. These guys were belly laughing when they read it. So I, I was fortunate enough that they understood my point, that I'm hopeful. And I'm still politically, my hope isn't in humans. 
right? If you're hoping in humans, you're, you're bound to be disappointed, right? Even if they're followers of Jesus. I saw a thing on Facebook, because you know that's where we get our doctrine now. Um, and it was a picture and it said, uh, the difference between Peter and Judas is Peter had a bad day, Judas had a bad heart, right? And so we all have bad days. So putting our hope in another human being, our spouse, our our, our siblings, our children, our best friends, our church family, our pastors, is, is a destination towards disruption and discouragement, right? But when we rightly hold each other in view of the fact, as followers of Jesus, that we're meant to be image bearers and that we are redeemed as image bearers and that we've received mercy, we can then live different. So the first thing we see on who, if you're wondering, if you're, if you're lacking identity, if you're a follower of Jesus, I want to help you know who you are. And the first thing the Bible says is you are a chosen people. Notice it doesn't say just a chosen person. While salvation is personal, it's not completely personal. It's actually corporate, meaning that God is intent on saving a people, not just a person. So when you're saved to Christ, you're now saved and added to a people, a nation, right? And this chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation um, began, God began speaking about that back in Exodus. And throughout the Old Testament, God was making promises to his people, Israel. And what Peter is doing is making that connection saying that, hey, we are God's people through Christ. We are adopted in through Christ. We are a chosen people. Now, what's interesting is, if you think about it this way, what gospel is God, are God's people preaching today with the amount of disunity that we have amongst God's people? We're, we're proclaiming something about God in the way that we relate with one another. And so as we remember the benefit of being God's people while also carrying the responsibility of being God's people, there's some things that are gonna become more apparent and incumbent upon us He's also saying here, but you, opposite of those who are destined to stumble because they disobey the word of God, but you are a chosen people, you're a royal priesthood, a people for his own possession, a holy nation, a set-apart people. Now, it's interesting, last week Ty taught about the priests of the Old Testament were the ones that could get access to the Holy of Holies. When Christ was crucified, he died. The, the curtain that separated the most holy places was torn from the top down. God opening up access to all who bear the name of Christ to come into the presence of the holy God to have fellowship. And so there's this priesthood that's been given to all who call on the name of Christ. And this priesthood isn't a lower priesthood. It's a royal priesthood. It's, it's one of royalty. You aren't royal because you've earned royalty. You're royal because the king has said you are so. Now, it's easy to fight about, well, did I choose God or did God choose me? I have a 14-year-old daughter, Braylon, and part of a dad's role in a teenage daughter's life is to bug her, to be irritating, to provoke her, not to anger, because that's unbiblical, but just to irritation. And a while back, she came to me and she's like, Daddy, I accepted Christ. And I said, was he unacceptable before now? She looks at me, what do you even mean? Well, you said you've now accepted him, so apparently he became acceptable to you. Huh? I said, well, maybe God accepted you through Christ. Well, you know what I mean, right? 
And she stomps off, but then slowly and silently closes her door. Because if you slam your door in my house, you lose the door. Amen. That's what happens. I haven't talked about stomping yet because you can't lose feet legally. But you slam that door, it's gone. But we say that, right? And I'm not here to quibble with you or to parse words. But fortunately, God's in the business of saving. And we're in need of being saved. And those who are going down the path of stumbling because they disobey God's word, unless God in his kindness interrupts them through the gospel of Jesus Christ, they're going to continue on that path. But notice that God isn't haphazardly just putting together people and hoping for the best. He is choosing and calling and redeeming, but not just for the benefit of no longer going to hell, but for the benefit of having a relationship with the true living God. And that benefit also comes with responsibilities. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, separated out, called to be unique and different as a people, not just a person, a holy nation and a people for his own possession. It's a possessive phrase. Hey, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're his. You belong to him. And that has meaning and that has power and that has implications. So Christians are a chosen people. The next thing we see is Christians are a proclaiming people. Christians are a proclaiming people. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We are met and called and redeemed to be a proclaiming people. And the challenge I would ask us, including myself, is as a church, not just Providence, but just as a church, what are we proclaiming? What is our message of proclamation? Fortunately for you, for, for some of us who've had pretty rough past and have done some pretty awful things or have been a part of some pretty devastating things, we're not want, quick to want to rush out and tell everyone about how awful we were or are or kind of can be. Fortunately, what's meant to be proclaimed isn't you, it's his excellencies, it says, have been so that you may, you're his possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you. What did he do? He called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He, he called you from death into life. He called you from alienation into adoption. He took you from being an object of wrath to an object of grace. We have something to say, not only individually, but also as his people. But what's sad to me, Christians sometimes, at least online, are worse at disagreeing than some of my non-believing friends. Well, when you're a person, then you're gonna stand up for what you think is right because God obviously needs you individually to defend his glory. And when I say it like that, you're like, no, no. What are we proclaiming? Some of us get far more evangelistic about our political ideals than we are about the God who brings us out of darkness into his glorious light. We are called to proclaim 
him as a people. If people are more sure of my social views, of my cultural views, of my political views, because of how I represent myself, than on my wonderful God, then I need to at least slow down and make an assessment of those things. Now, wearing a cross doesn't mean that all of a sudden you're letting the world know. But how are, how are we as followers of Jesus disagreeing? How are we interacting with those outside of the faith that don't agree? I don't get mad at non-believers who think differently than I do. I don't even get mad at believers who think differently than I do, except for when I'm feeling insecure. But we're declaring something as a people. We're declaring a gospel as a people. What do we have to say? What do we have to say about God? Well, we were in darkness and he brought us into light. That we were not a people, but now we are his people. And he goes on to say, he said, once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Romans chapter one, if you take it understanding this context that he handed them over, God handing them over is not his mercy, but a beginning of his wrath. Turning people over to their own desires is allowing them to live out their own nature that, that leads itself ultimately to death and destruction for eternity. Receiving mercy is being rescued out of that from that. I'm all about letting my kids make some mistakes when my daughter Braylon, and I do love her, I'm not picking on her. When she was about three or four years old, um, we, had, we were in an old house at the time that had a drop-down ironing board that was a little lower than a normal ironing board and had a hot iron on it, and I saw the look. And parents, you know what I'm talking about, the look, where they haven't become, begun to be sneaky enough to like, act cool until they're about to do something, but like, they decide like a light bulb, you can see the light bulb go off, and you're like, she's going to touch that iron. And I said, don't do that, it will hurt. Missy Sassy Frass walks up and goes... and looks at me like I did something to her. Right, it's my fault. Parents, you know that when your kids are like, don't do that, it's gonna hurt. They hurt themselves and look at you like you're the idiot that did it, right? But this isn't just someone touching an iron. God's saying you're going straight towards rush hour traffic or rushing traffic and he comes and yanks away. Now, do we turn to God and say, hey, I was in darkness and I'm in light. I was dead, now I'm alive, and say, how dare you? Or look what I did? Hopefully we say, thank you. Hopefully it produces gratitude. And from a place of gratitude, we're then able to proclaim. We once didn't have mercy. We were going down the path that we were meant to go down and going to go down based upon our nature and our desires. And then God intervened through his son, Jesus. And he rescues us and, and he brings us to a new place and he, he gives us himself and he calls us his own and he empowers us with his message to be a proclaiming people. We had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. We've been 
not only rescued from our sin, which leads to death, but have now given a calling that is transcendent of all the noise towards something that is lasting and eternal and consequential. So we are called to be, we understand that Christians are a chosen people, that we are a proclaiming people. The third thing we see in this passage is that we're a sojourning people. He says in verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. He says, I, I urge you, hey, this isn't your home. This isn't your final place. All these things and all these comforts and all these desires aren't the final place for you. That's not what's meant to ultimately satisfy your soul. The good things that we enjoy in this life are but dim glasses that we see through dimly that one day we'll see clearly. If you've had a really good steak, then you know the difference between a really good steak and just steak. If you've never had anything but steak, you just know what's steak. Or if you're like I used to be and you get every steak well done, you ruin a good steak or a bad steak altogether. I'm not picking on you. I, I was there and then I was just bullied nonstop for about three years when I lived in the country. But when you go to Royer's Cafe in Round Top and you have one of their filet mignons, and then you go to Golden Corral and have their filet mignon, there's a difference. Once you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good and you know what it is to be forgiven and released and, and accepted and adopted and empowered and forgiven and that we have even better awaiting for us later, we can then begin to live different. And he's saying, hey, understanding, be reminded of who you are. This isn't your final place. The beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Part of God's mercy towards us is that once sin had control, it was our master. We did what our flesh desired, but because of Jesus Christ and the empowering of the Holy Spirit and the education and information and communication from God's word and the community of saints that we belong to, we don't have to give in to sin any longer. It doesn't have the final say. We have the empowered opportunity to say no. Now we have to understand we are embodied souls. Jesus was an embodied soul when he came to earth. And because we're embodied souls, we have limitation based upon our bodies, based upon how our brains are wired. What we need to understand is we are habitual beings. Some of you have formed and nurtured very bad habits for a very long time that the first step in seeing transformation is that your desire is to no longer give into it, even sometimes as frequently or as much or to the same extent. That's, that's a sign of God's mercy at work in you, that your appetite for things are changing. Now, I don't know about you. There are certain things I wish would just be done. Like the Lord would say, nope, that's done. You're over. Shh, done. But there are certain things that are a fight. And he's saying, hey, abstain because there's something worth waiting for, abstain from giving in to these immediate desires. Ladies, I wanna let you know, if your husband struggles with lust, that means he's male and has two eyes. Got a bigger laugh at the first service, so some of you are like, still done, all right. I'm not saying it's right, but, but just to, to let you know, because I, I know how personal you can take it, his offense first and foremost is toward God, okay? 
So that, that's the first thing that we've got to be compassionate about. The second thing of understanding is there have been habits that have been formed most likely way before you came onto the scene. And so as his heart and desire changes, as the mercy of God becomes more pronounced in his life, there may be a direction of change and a desire to change, but, but habits take a while to change. And that's why we need each other in community because we're not meant to bury, bear a lot of this alone and quite honestly need to understand that, hey, there's a lot that goes into the way sin has ravaged us. And that Christ is redeeming us and forgiving us and releasing us. But at times there's parts of us are like, we can see Paul in Romans 7, like, why do I do what I don't want to do? Like there's some of it's habit. You look in the Old Testament, especially in the Psalms, it's like, remember, remember, remember. That's part of God's mercy because guess what? We forget. We are God's people called to be his people to proclaim and, and understand that we have benefits and responsibility, but this is not our home. A sojourner is someone that's residing temporarily someplace. An exile is being barred from one's native country or not able to go back in. Abstaining from the passion of your flesh is, is not just abstaining for the sake of abstaining because you think, you think you're a better person because of it. The, abs, the abstention is foregoing because of a future hope. It's, it's, it's a swapping out of not giving into this because this is so much better. God is better. And we forget. And that's why we need to be reminded of these things. Next time you have a really good steak, how much better must God be? If you're vegan and you have like a black bean something or another, not much question if God's better. Yes, he is. When you're tempted to put your hope in a candidate or a party or a person or not a mask or a mask, you're going to be disappointed. As God's chosen people, we understand that this isn't our home, and so we hold on to our rights differently. I'm not anti-America. I love America. I've been to a lot of countries. Still my favorite. I like it a lot. We act embarrassingly sometimes. I say we, not y'all, we. Some of my friends from different countries are like, yeah. But I'm not first an American. That's not my primary citizenship. My primary citizenship is to a kingdom that is eternal. And that's the kingdom I represent first. It doesn't mean I don't care. It doesn't mean I don't take care of. It doesn't mean I don't pay taxes but my citizenship is of another place. And so my hope is in another place. And so when human beings do human type things, yet my ultimate hope as his people are in people doing stuff in broken systems, we've got to realign our hopes. We're breaking relationships with other believers based upon politics and masks right now. I mean, I, I see people turning themselves in social, spiritual martyrs because they will not wear a mask because they're not going to bow a knee to the false god of government. I'm not the smartest guy. And I don't have a doctorate in theology, just masters of divinity. It's not the same thing. You're not Daniel. 
whether they work or don't work or anything else, for me, it's, it's how do I serve the other people? Am I afraid of me getting sick or not? That's not the question. How do I lay down my life for others as Christ laid down his life for me? Right? And, and ultimately, people are, Christians are like dividing over this. You don't really love God if you wear a mask. You don't really love God if you don't wear a mask. You both don't love God because you're acting like idiots right now. Why are we having that conversation? We're not going after, what are we proclaiming? We're proclaiming division, opinionation. We're just so opinionated. Uh, uh, we, we, look, uh, I was talking to Stephanie, my wife, about this the other day. And this is a sidebar and this is second. And I'll just, I'll, if Ty's like, hey, you went too far, I'll just say I was hungry. Uh, so here I am. Christians, we've got to grow up and quit calling our preferences conviction. I heard a, oh, all right. We've got to, a lot of times we call, we're confused. A conviction is that Jesus Christ is the only way that God has made available for men, women, and children to be reconciled to himself. I'm convicted that that's the truth, and I'm going to die for that truth and proclaim that truth. Whether a mask that fully covers your face or dangles down here or does this or a plastic shield or this or that or whatever, I'm going to divide with you over that? You, if you vote for this person or vote for that person or vote for this person or vote for that person or your vote means this or that and implicates a person's identity, do not defraud another person's identity who calls themselves a follower of Jesus because who they are is what God says they are, not what they are voting or saying or thinking in that moment. They too are a royal priesthood, a holy nation of people set apart to proclaim the excellencies, excellencies of who he is. They are people who are called out of darkness into a marvelous light. Does that mean that we're mistaken at times or wrong or whatever? Yes. That's why we need each other and that we proclaim differently and we argue differently and we reconcile differently and we make peace differently and we don't hold on to our rights as something to be held on to because our Savior didn't. But we live as people who have, as a, a sojourning people, we understand that the way we carry ourselves is saying something about the nature and person of God. The fourth thing is this, we are called to be a reflective people. And not reflective like, hmm, I need to really think about that. That's partly, but here's what I mean. Verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, not just you, but y'all, us, as Christians, as those Christians, we're part of those, even the weirdos that do really weird things or maybe people call themselves Christians who don't believe in the fundamental truth of the gospel, right? But we're still lumped in. So he's saying, hey, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So like when Paul talks about, hey, don't rush to a lawsuit in the Gentile courts, like with your brother, like go and try to deal with it in another way, right? This is kind of the mindset of like, hey, we're, we're all, when you go out with a fish on your car and you drive like garbage, you're saying, you're, you're smearing all of our reputations. So either drive right or don't wear a fish. I don't have a fish in my car. So I still try to drive right, but a little heavy footed sometimes. Conduct yourself in an honorable way. Because what you do in isolation or as yourself, because I'm just convicted to say this when it's really just a preference, you're saying something not just about you, but it's affecting everyone that you're associated with. See, we don't have this responsibility, communal responsibility that we should, of how am I representing the rest of my family? Around the world, how am I representing them? Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Why? So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they make what you claim is good to be, say it's evil, they may see your good deeds 
and glorify God on the day of visitation. The greatest apologetic for the gospel that we have today is unity around the gospel of Jesus Christ. That if we unify around that and we can disagree in ways that are life-giving rather than life-taking, and we can unify for good, we, we have a message worth paying attention to. And we're telling the truth about God. So going back to this idea, and, I, and it, he says this, they, see, they glorify God on the day of visitation, that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, right? As Paul says in Philippians, they will glorify him. They will see that he truly is God and that your message is actually consistent with his character. We have to understand then as image bearers, as those who are redeemed called sons and daughters, that we have responsibilities that go along with the benefits of being God's people. How we interact about things like masks and politics and how we carry ourselves with generosity and how we engage and fight towards purity. And one question that can help reacclimate us or recalibrate us is what gospel is your life preaching? All of our lives are proclaiming a good news of some kind. Is it a gospel of wealth? Is it a gospel of comfort? Is it a gospel of, of provocation? Is it a gospel of being right? Is it the gospel of America? Because any gospel other than the gospel of Jesus Christ is a false gospel. Because at the end of the day, when God's grace is applied through Jesus Christ, that is what determines who we are and how we are to be. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your kindness and your grace given to us through your son, Jesus Christ, that while we were dead in our sins, Christ Jesus made us alive together with himself so that through him we might have eternal life. Lord, I pray um, for all of us gathered this morning, both here and online, Lord, that you would challenge us, that you would convict us, that you would transform us, Father, that we might really be a people who are unified around the main things. And so that the way we engage with social issues and politics and finances and marriage and church life are uniquely different because you've called us and equipped us and empowered us to be so. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.